1: Mike DeWine gives us a measure when all coronavirus restrictions will be lifted and Cleveland school teachers refuse to go back to the classroom. Lots to talk about on This Week in the CLE, the news podcast discussion from Cleveland.com and The Plain Dealer for Friday. We always have hot discussions on Friday. I'm Chris Quinn here with Jane Cahoon, Chris Wernowski, Laura Johnston. They were already mixing it up before we even started. So let's get into the conversation. What did Ohio Governor Mike DeWine have to say in his special early evening and very short address to Ohioans Thursday? Jane Kuhn, I don't think any of us expected this one.
0: No, and you're right. It was an uncharacteristically short address to basically mark the one-year anniversary of the coronavirus pandemic in Ohio. But the news was that he vowed to lift all of the health orders when we reach a point of having 50 cases per 100,000 for two weeks. Now, what does that mean in terms of time? Well, I can't tell you that exactly because the state hasn't provided the historical numbers to us showing when we were last at that point statewide. But we can provide a little context here. I was talking to our data guru, Rich Exner, and he said the only time he could find Cuyahoga County getting close in the the data posted since late July when they started that alert system was for one report that was like just above 50 for the first week of October. So historically he said this would be like returning to maybe pre-midsummer levels at a minimum. But that's not to say, you know, we won't get there. It's it's important to keep in mind all this stuff is before we got the vaccines, right? So that's a key factor here along with the mitigation measures. So and then some further comparisons for for context. As of Wednesday, the average was 179.6 cases per 100,000 residents over the past two weeks. A month ago, on February 3rd, it was at 445. And on December 3rd, it was at 731. Rich reported yesterday that Holmes County was actually at this magic level with the lowest rate in the state of 47.8 cases per 100,000. And then the highest two were along the Ohio River. Washington County at 260.4 and Jefferson County at 252.6. Now the rates are dropping per county pretty much everywhere and here in Northeast Ohio. But you know I I've seen other people kind of try to make an honest try at, at crunching these numbers to take a guess like you know based on the daily reported cases and how long this is going to take us. But th- there's a real caveat there that that makes it flawed, which is the metric that DeWine is using is not directly tied to the number of new cases reported each day by the Department of Health. It rather involves a like a two-week look back for the number of known cases in which symptoms began during that time period, and it, it excludes incarcerated people. So it gets a little complicated, you know, trying to, to figure that out, but we hope to get more historical data soon from the health yeah. department
1: that'll well, help us. You know. we, we, we need a lot of data to find out what the perspective is on this and, and to give people an expectation. And of course, like you said, the vaccine changes everything. And I know people are going to disagree with this, but I actually think that what DeWine did last night was smart and actually showed some leadership because we've seen other states throwing caution to the wind and ending their mandates, which health experts say will, will result in people dying. We're not ready yet. And, you know, loonies are calling on DeWine to do the same thing. So he came out in a very brief address and said, here's what I'm going to do. You know, here's the standard that I think is fair. Here's why I think this is fair. And if everybody gets vaccinated as as we get the vaccines in, if people keep wearing the max, we're going to get there. He gave people the good news that we're near the end, but not quite yet. Bear with them. And he didn't fill it with lots of blather. He was very, very direct. Mike DeWine started this pandemic showing true leadership, then lost all ability to lead, it seemed like, for a long while. But what he's done with the vaccine, targeting the people who are most vulnerable, mostly, and what he did yesterday, I think, kind of put him back into a place where he's showing some strong leadership. Let the debate begin.
2: We, we haven't had a carrot in a long time, you know, in it, it, so much of this has been kind of nebulous and, and just kind of. Out there, there's never been any real benchmark that we have to hit, any goals we have to hit, and 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 really, he what what he did yesterday, which you know you could say is probably a response to people like Josh Mandel asking him very publicly to lift the lift. I wasn't going to mention his
1: name. I was not going <laughs> to. No, mention no.
2: I mean, look, come on, I, I, you know, to do a, a near prime time address after a, getting beat up for a whole day on social media about this, it, but. But really what it says is, look, OK, we 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 will do this, but you have to show some responsibility here. We all have a stake in this. You know, this is not this is not something that that you can just lift and we'll be fine. We all have to sort of take part in this. And and that's been missing for a long time, you know, that, that that there is some public responsibility into getting us back to being better. Johnson.
3: I, I think he used this uh, anniversary date. You know, he said. He shut down that Arnold Classic and he was one of the first governors to do it. We hadn't even seen, you know, we hadn't seen shutdown of schools or anything yet. So I think he was reminding us of, look, we did this right in the first place. We just need to keep going. But I was really taken aback by this 50 per 100,000 number because it's not something we're used to looking at. We report a lot of numbers, positivity numbers, the straight number of cases. We were doing death counts until they took that away. This is not something we're used to thinking about this way. And so just to throw it out there, I would have liked him to say, no, this is going to be comparable to this, you know, this many people cases a day, but here's why I'm using this number. Like, it just kind of felt like he's throwing it out there and saying, you don't actually know what this means. Let, you know, I'll tell you when we get there. And so I would like more discussion of this. And I hope going forward every day, we're going to get a number that says, here's where we are on this per 100,000 statewide.
1: Well, if they have to wait for the CDC to come, it could be two <laughs> they weeks. Do, no,
3: they do have a map. We did find that last night.
0: They post a map that shows what the statewide average is. And really? the county, I could not by find county, that. That was on their website? Oh. But it hasn't been public. Yeah. It's not something he publicly... No. Well, said. he does in terms of the alert map. It's a metric right, on right. the alert map by county to show county. To, yeah.
3: right. and that's right. once a week that that comes right. out i mean daily but, we get those numbers we report them every day at two o'clock this has right. not been part of that
0: no we it's not something that was really on our radar but i think at some point uh last night when we were all hustling around on this laura hancock sent out a link and said oh here it is you know it is there but it's not you're right it's not something that the statewide one anyway that we so I hope that
3: when we get the two o'clock numbers now like that's going to be something that they give us every day so we can track it
1: okay but but he did he did offer some explanation of why he wanted to use that number he talked about some of the science behind it and you're right I, I sat there going what is that I don't know what that means and if we're at just over uh, you know 100 and whatever 79 how long does it take to get to 50 but I I go with what Chris said He's he said, Here, you want you want all this stuff done? You want to go to the baseball stadium in big numbers? You want to do all that stuff? It's on you. Keep going in the direction you're doing. You get the vaccine as soon as you can and wear your mask, and we're gonna get there. And again, when he's done these addresses before, it is filled with all sorts of blather and you know, trying to play Grandpa DeWine. He didn't do any of that. He came right out, looked people in the eye, said, This is what we're gonna do. He also, I thought, used an interesting analogy. Of of uh, a wartime story about about the last deaths before you get to the end of the the crisis, and I think he was trying to say, "Look, we don't want to lose people. We don't have to lose. Mm -hmm. Let's let's be safe. Let's stay the course. And it's on you to get these numbers down. And I'll lift all those orders. I still think we're going to have as normal a summer as we we never would have thought. So we will be okay. You're listening to this week in the CLE." Cleveland school teachers have been vaccinated or at least are, are partly vaccinated. So why are they refusing to go back to the classroom as they voted last night? Chris and Laura, I, I guess you guys were mixing it up on this one before I joined this this morning. What's your story?
3: I'm just going to put out there and then I'll let Chris bash me. But like <laughs> that, that a lot of school districts have been back in person for many months now and we haven't seen these kind of crazy outbreaks and i i feel so bad for these kids i just want them to go to school and while i understand there are problems between communication between the district and the union i just i want them to put the kids first and say look we're going back it's not perfect but we think we can do this we can make it work and these kids are more important
1: Chris Wernaski
2: well i think that there's probably some legitimate concerns here i, I you know i think what people get angry at when when teachers' unions stick up for their teachers like this is the fact that when they go to work and they're forced to go to work, they don't have somebody speaking up for them and saying, hey, it might be unsafe for us to do this and we aren't going to do it. And I, I think in this instance, maybe the district has not shown that it can keep its teachers safe. This is a a school district with a lot of problems. You know, they have financial problems, they have structural problems, they they have a lot of problems and i think i think maybe they got the teachers got in there and got to look at what they saw and they said that we're not comfortable with this you know this is not you know the tony suburbs of uh, you know seven hills and and with small school districts that are probably a little easier to manage this is a this is a big thing and 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 frankly teachers are the ones that are going to get sick if there's going to be illness so i understand why there might be some concern and 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 i think it's strange that that nobody blushes when the, the police unions are making a huge deal about getting bumped up on the vaccine list. And,
1: and, and so,
2: you know, either, either you support the, the teachers unions and police unions or you you, you don't. And, well, and they, it, it, right, you just so contradicted
1: so your argument though. I mean, that what I, 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 I agree with everything you said, except the teachers got vaccinated. I mean, the whole reason, look, I hear from people every day who can't find a vaccine who are old And they complained that the teachers were moved ahead of them in the line, that they had everything provided to them. They showed up at a central place. It was all easy. They didn't have to do any work, just show up, get the shot. And the Cleveland teachers accepted that. They went and they got vaccinated. The deal is you get vaccinated, you go teach. And so I'm having real trouble understanding all of this. Well, I'm in danger. You got the vaccine. You're you're one of the safest people out there. And as Laura said. The children really haven't been vectors. So I So Do I don't we, do we it. know that they all got the vaccine?
3: Well, well if, if they, they, they chose, didn't, then that was their choice. Yeah,
1: If they chose not to get the vaccine, then they chose not to take the, the, the safety measure. I just I'm I'm thrown that this is coming at the 11th hour because because, you know, if they would have voted right off the bat. Yeah, we're not doing that. The, I know the governor is offering the vaccine if we go back to school on March 1st. We're, we're, we don't believe the school's going to keep us safe, so we don't want to be part of that deal. Then all those doses of vaccine could have gone to people that that wanted them, but they got it. And, you know, once you do that, to vote at the 11th hour, to leave those kids out of school, Laura is right. Those kids are suffering. They've been suffering for a year. The governor came up with a plan to help them. The teachers participated in that plan, and now they're breaking the deal.
3: And I mean, they're not saying never. I mean, if you go read the story that Emily Bamforth, you know, researched and reported last night, they're not saying never. They're saying, you know, our original plan to go back after spring break gave us more time. But, you know, Mike DeWine wanted kids back in school in March. And after spring break, you're left with like two months of school, if that. So, I mean, the earlier we can get these kids back, try to save somewhat of this school year. I don't even want to know how far behind some kids are going to be, you know, after this year of coronavirus. It's something we haven't even begun to really comprehend. And anything that we can do to get these kids into school, to be learning, to be with their peers, I think is just so necessary right now.
1: Okay. You're listening to This Week in the CLE. Why did Ohio Secretary of State, Frank LaRose, come down so hard on the Summit County Board of Elections, not even letting them keep their chairperson, a fellow Republican? Laura Johnston, this was a stinging rebuke of the largely Republicans on that board. And he says they deprived people of the right to vote.
3: Yeah, this is... Crazy. I don't think I'm going to be able to get through all the allegations on this podcast, but their actions likely led to disenfranchisement of qualified voters. They they took people off the rolls who were convicted of a felony, but not incarcerated. So they were eligible to vote. They say there was an actual instance of voter fraud, which we know we talk about a lot, but we haven't really seen much with a dead person's active registration. So many problems. One, they didn't have enough Foresight to get people to drop off ballots in a timely manner. People were waiting an hour. I would look back to Franklin Rose on that problem. But workplace hostility, unprofessionalism, a politically charged environment, numerous errors in maintaining voter lists, improperly canceling voter registration, not ensuring bipartisan control of election administration. This one's great. They adopted an anti-discrimination and anti-harassment policy in 2004, did not train staff on the policy, distribute it, or, or update it in 17 years. And they never cross-trained employees on election administration tasks. And reading the story from Robin Goist, you're just like, oh my gosh, how has this been operating like this? And I went back and found a story I wrote in 2008 <laughs> about dysfunction at the board. So this has been wow. going on for a long time.
0: Could could I jump in with a fun fact here? And this is showing my age, of course. Uh Long time ago, I for many years at the Plain Dealer organized our election coverage down to the really minute details. And of... you
1: did an incredible <laughs> job. I was so blown away the first time I encountered it.
0: And can I just say Summit County was always last? I mean, we always had, <laughs> even even worse than Cuyahoga. We always had problems with them, you know, getting the numbers in a timely fashion or just general cooperation and stuff. So this really rings true with me, I have to say.
1: Well, and he knows because he he's from Hudson. So he's probably very, very aware of their dysfunction and just slapped them silly. I mean, we haven't seen that kind of rebuke in a long time. Now, you know, we've seen rebukes of him because he's tried to stop people from voting himself. But still, it was interesting to see.
3: So they rejected the reappointment of this board chair, Brian Williams, who's also the chair of the Summit County Republican Party. And now they're sanctioned. that means they're going to get state oversight of the board. The board's got to submit biweekly reports and participate in regular meetings with Larose's office. So the whole idea is to get this board up to shape so that they you know protect the voting rights of people in Summit County.
1: okay. You are listening to this week in the c l e It seems like yesterday that the Greater Cleveland Food Bank moved into its gleaming home along Interstate Ninety on the city's far east side, but it was sixteen years ago. Chris Warnowski, has the food bank really outgrown that home in such short a time?
2: It appears so. Uh, They plan to break ground next month on a 198,000 square foot facility on an 18 acre piece of land on Coit Road on the edge of Collinwood and Glenville neighborhoods, uh, which was once home to an auto body plant and about two miles southwest of its current headquarters on South Waterloo Road that you probably see if you ever drive east on the shoreway. Once the new distribution center opens next year, the South Waterloo Road building will be renovated and turned into a place to serve clients. Officials at the food bank have talked about the expansion for several years, and the agency has served about 56 million pounds of food to more than 400,000 people in six counties in the fiscal year of 2020. And and what i think is a bit of sad news is that the reason that this expansion is necessary is because they anticipate that the need for food is going to continue to grow i think the coronavirus kind of pulled back a little bit and showed everybody kind of what what the the nutrition and food situation is here in the city and I, and and i think the anticipation is that it's going to continue continue to climb in in subsequent years so This is good news in one respect that you know we're there's building in South Collinwood, but there's or in Collinwood, but there's bad news because of the reason for it.
1: You know, we've all volunteered down there. We know how big the center is. I remember when they opened it; it seemed like this thing would be there forever. And I'm just struck by the fact that that's not big enough to serve the food needs of of this area. And it it what really remarks on is. We have done an atrocious job in Northeast Ohio of combating poverty. It's worse than it's ever been. Right. And and if it weren't for the food bank, you know, who knows how many people would be hungry every night. They do you know, we're big supporters of it, both as an institution. Our entire staff has at one time or another been down there to work there. They do really the, the Saints work. But man, it is sad that that building that they put up 16 years ago that was looked as the future forever is already too small and that their demands are just going to keep well, growing. Well, think of it this way. I, I I know this
2: might be an unusual way to, to measure hunger, but the current building is 128,000 square feet. They are now going to have 326,000 square feet to address hunger in this community. And so I mean, they're almost doubling, they're, they're more than doubling the amount of space they have to to address this issue. And and in the span of 16 years, that does not say a good thing about what's happening here.
1: Well, and, and for people that haven't been there, the building they're in now is this cavernous building with, with you know, floor to ceiling, high ceiling shelves loaded with food. And it's not enough. I mean, that it's just a it's a sad moment. I'm glad people came forward to help pay for this thing because the food bank clearly needs it. Um, We'll have to see how things change. You're listening to This Week in the CLE. Does disgraced former Ohio House Speaker Larry Householder have any chance of getting a hearing on his new proposals to let county commissioners overrule county health boards when they issue orders and get a referendum on the ballot so that the legislature can overrule the governor? Jane Cahoon? He's he's still there. He hasn't been (laughs) ousted, despite the disgrace of being involved in this massive bribery scheme. Will anybody, will his colleagues champion this?
0: Well, I guess the answer to that is maybe. And you're right. I mean, this story read like something out of the onion or something. You know, (laughs) I mean, people got a kick out of this when when they saw a householder promoting this legislation as a way to restore checks and balances to state government. I mean, this is from the guy who is under indictment, accused of completely perverting the legislative process to engineer the largest bribery scheme in in state history and converting some of that money for his own personal use. I mean, you just you just got to love it. Anyway, just first, a brief description of what he wants to do. It's a bill and a resolution. The bill is the one that would allow county commissioners to block or modify any countywide order issued by their county board of health. He's saying these unelected boards need to be held accountable. And maybe, Chris, that's something you'd agree with. But anyway, and then the resolution seeks this statewide referendum on allowing the General Assembly to, to terminate or change any executive order. So, first of all, the House has talked about expelling Householder, but they haven't done anything to make that happen. So they're still allowing him to, to be a lawmaker. So, you know, he's got the standing to, to introduce these things. And secondly, they they publicized this via a press release that was sent out by the House GOP communications office. So <laughs> they're not actually they're not exactly treating him like a, oh, a pariah. Some people found this just unbelievable. But as far as the chances of this going anywhere, which was your original question, I'll give you Jeremy Pelzer's take. He's the one who wrote the story and has a lot of insight into the legislature. He said even if Householder wasn't sponsoring it, that that resolution is not likely to pass because that was um, the initial language of Senate Bill 22 was, was sought to do the same thing. And, and the sponsors of that, they quickly edited that part out because there, there just wasn't support for that. But the other one, the bill to allow the county commissioners to veto countywide health orders, he said that might well pass the House, but he's not sure about House Speaker Bob Cup whether he would allow that bill to move. He was asked about it Thursday and he gave what I would characterize as a typical flat Bob Cup response. He said he didn't have any reaction at all, quite frankly, to the to the legislation. He said it just happened in the matter of course. We'll handle the bills as we would with any other according to the rules of the House.
1: What so a there you a brilliant it. orator.
0: <laughs> so there is
1: a difference between the resolution and the and the legislation. With, with the county health boards, we do not have any elected accountability. They do whatever the hell they want to do. It makes no sense. They've lied. They've, you know, they, 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 they've tried to hide records from people. I mean, they've been a nightmare to deal with throughout the pandemic. And the voter has no ability to change it. So having them answer to elected officials would give some accountability. In the resolution. We do have accountability. The governor is elected. We we if we don't like what he's doing with health orders, we can throw him out. So it's not this is not an apples and apples kind of thing. Yeah, I think there's
0: constitutional questions about that
1: that one too. Yeah. I would not I I wish there was some kind of accountability for the health courts because they've been a nightmare. And I So think let it
0: be known you are on the side of Larry House. Yeah,
1: well, if, <laughs> if, if that's what it takes to get control of the health boards, so be it.
3: The enemy of my enemy.
1: You're, <laughs> you're listening, I didn't say anybody was my enemy. You're listening to This Week in the CLE. Is the Cuyahoga County Medical Examiner making up the rules on the fly when it comes to releasing information on homicides like he did this week in the police killing of a 19-year-old Cleveland man? Chris Renowski, I'm hot about this because of how I think it posed a risk to some of our reporters. I think it's inexcusable what he's doing. And man, I do miss the days of the elected coroner, because since we've had an appointed medical examiner, this office has been a nightmare to deal with. Take us through it. So a few weeks ago, uh, we started making inquiries with the medical examiner's
2: office about being able to see the autopsy of Arthur Keith, the young man who was shot to death by a, a Cleveland Housing police officer a few months ago. And they started to put up some roadblocks. And and what people might not know about the the laws here in Ohio is that we're not actually allowed to get physical copies of autopsies. We actually have to go into the office and read it. And not only are we only allowed to read it, but, we're, but we we're not allowed to take notes. So you basically get to go in, you get to look at it and you have to remember everything and then go out and write it down and 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 it's a whole process that the legislature but
1: but i don't want to stop you because when i was a reporter i covered crime i went to the coroner's office all the time and got copies of of autopsies you had to pay it was i think it was 10 bucks to get it there were three parts and we got them all the time so and i don't think the law has changed i think it's this guy's ridiculous interpretation of it. And, and he's going to contradict it before you get to the end of the story. I just want to point out they're maintaining, they don't, they're not allowed to give it to you. Mm -hmm. I don't agree with that because I have a long history of getting these documents from the corner. Go ahead. So in this instance,
2: we, we made an inquiry and we were basically told we, we can't do it because the office is closed because of the pandemic. And and so we got our attorneys involved. And finally, they agreed to allow columnist Layla Atassi and reporter Olivia Mitchell, who's been covering this, to go down and look at the autopsy and report what they saw. But they made them do it in, you know, I mean, they made them come down to the office in the middle of a pandemic to to do this. And and so, you know, we kind of reluctantly agreed that, that was fine. But it, it's frustrating because, you know, we're trying to be safe. And, and frankly, if anybody knows how many people have died of the coronavirus, it would be the medical examiner's office. And and so we did it, we wrote the story, and they took umbrage with how something was reported in the story and, and sent out the autopsy to their entire media list saying, you know, to, to, to you know, in the, you know, for transparency's sake, we're going to send this out to everybody because of the story that we had done.
1: Okay. Okay. (laughs) And so So, so think about that. They make two of our reporters in a pandemic where we're not sending reporters almost anywhere, but to get this, and it's a critically important case because it shows a police officer shot a young black Cleveland man in the back to get it. They make us come down saying we cannot provide it to you. And the next day they provide it to everybody. It's just complete. BS. And the sad thing is he's appointed. So, so he's not accountable to the people. He's accountable to Armand Budish, who doesn't pay any attention to the things he should pay attention to. And so this guy endangered our reporters playing his little power game when he didn't have to, and then proved that he was playing a game by providing it to the entire world. It's inexcusable. It's not public service. This isn't a spat between the media and a public official. This is bad public policy. Yeah. And it has been a
2: long standing frustration. I mean, as long as I have worked here, I I have had reporters who have, have tried to deal with this issue and and they they they've relented and they've allowed us to go in there and look at them. But this I mean, this process just seems so strange and so unnecessarily cumbersome. And and they always defer to the legislature. They always say, well, you know, our hands are tied and there's not much we can do. But I
1: but obviously not. They I, sent it out. they sent it out. So obviously either they broke the law that they claim that they've been trying to uphold or they've been making it up as they go,
2: which is what this is. I I spoke to a representative from the office yesterday and he, and you know, I don't want to divulge too much of the private conversation, but I think his defense of this is is worth noting that he said that the the medical examiner does have discretion over when they can send stuff out. So, you know, because I I pointed out that, well, you, you have set a precedent now. You've proven that you have the ability to email autopsies to to people, to reporters specifically, and that that we're going to be asking for that in the future. And the defense was, well, we have we have the ability
1: to sort of pick and choose. And they right, don't. They, that's okay. not the way the record <laughs> law works. And if they've been standing on the law as the reason they can't provide it, then they were lying because they can. If you have the discretion, you don't blame the legislature. It, look, it, I'm this telling is- you, this was such a good system when it was elected. I mean, we never had an issue with the coroner's office and getting records when it was elected. They were they were so cooperative. And the minute we switched it, it, it turned into a nightmare and it's continuing to be a nightmare. Maybe we'll elect a county executive that decides that office should answer to the people who pay its bills.
2: Well, I will I will I will close with calling this what I think it is. And a, a very interesting legal question so we okay. can maybe do it at
1: that all right you're listening to this week in the CLE all right another week of news over and on to the weekend you guys have plans <laughs>
0: uh, oh, Larry, you gotta be
1: doing hockey you wrote the big story about the hockey that can't playoffs the
3: are not until next weekend so there's hockey practice this week but um yeah no big games no, nothing for me to get all anxious and jump on the boards about but uh I'm going to go skiing, you know, once or twice more. That might be the end of the season.
0: Well, gosh,
3: I've got some shopping to do.
1: Doesn't that sound exciting? You're (laughs) going to make some of the Italian food from the Stanley Tucci show?
0: I haven't decided yet. Maybe, maybe I'll try something else. That's a I good did idea. catch that. Yeah. Oh
2: maybe God, it's for. It just makes you want to eat. <laughs> <laughs> and We started, I started watching it last night at your recommendation and I'm sort of like, why did I start watching this? <laughs> and Now I'm angry. I can't go and eat Italian food. No, I think, I think we're going to spend some time. I we, if, if the, if it doesn't get too sloppy out, I think we might go down to the national park and, and go for
1: a nice long hike. No, oh, cool. Well, good. I hope we uh, have sunny weather. Thanks, Jane. Thanks, Chris. Thanks, Laura. Thank you to everybody who listens to this podcast and keep your comments coming. We read them all and appreciate your thoughts. We'll be back on Monday.